this series is called Friend because we're looking at what does it mean to be a friend of the world and what does it mean to be a friend of God. And today, um, we're going to be looking at the difference in the way that we talk, our speech, and the power that our speech has. And so if you are uh, somebody that is here today that is an unbeliever, you do not follow Christ, then what you can learn today is what, is, what, is, what should the Christian speech pattern be? What does it look like when, how Christians talk? Uh, and a lot of times what I've found is Christians talk the same way as everybody else. Uh, and that is when there becomes a problem. And what, as we read the scripture today, I want you to just kind of see how serious the problem is. James is, takes this very, very seriously. Sometimes when we think about what we say, we just think, ah, oh, you know, it's meaningless if we say it behind closed doors or just to a couple of close friends or maybe just say it to ourselves. Uh, but James really debunks that thought and that attitude. And so we're going to read chapter 3, verse 1 to 12. And you can read along with me on both screens this week. Let's give it up for two screens. <laughs> Everybody on this side, you don't have to crank your neck anymore. <laughs> All right, so starting in verse 1, James says this. Not many of you should become teachers. Thanks, James. My brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the, ha- into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. For from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. James is going in hard on this. I mean, there is like, there's no mincing words uh, with what James thinks about poor speech after reading this. And if you think James is going too hard on this, and overemphasizing our speech, then I, I would only have to assume one thing, is that you haven't been around the church long enough. You haven't been around the church long enough. And the reason why I say that, and God bless your heart if you think that speech is not that important, 
uh, is I have seen what gossip can do to a church. I've seen it firsthand. I've seen it rip churches apart. I've seen speech destroy thriving ministries because team members don't know how to speak positively, because congregation members don't know how to speak positively. For all the theological heads here today, this is why I cringe when I say that I believe in Reformed theology. Why? Because the Reformed camp has the sin of cursing brothers and sisters when they don't agree with one another. It's one reason why I hate social media. I keep it because I own a business and I have to go on it every day. Um, But I've seen every day how speech destroys friendships. You know, you get people just like, if you disagree with me, I'm unfriending you right now. And then for real, like they get ton unfriends right there. It's like people that were cool for five years, election time comes around, right? Two weeks ago. And then all of a sudden, we're not allowed to hang out anymore. We're not allowed to talk anymore. This is, this is the importance of speech. We, I see it destroy friendships. I've seen it destroy families. I've seen it destroy the church. And so if we think, James, man, you, you just, you, you're going a little overboard, kind of like that crazy parent, you know, that didn't let their kid watch Harry Potter right here, my parents, because they're like, oh my gosh, there's a wand, Justin, you can't watch that. I'm like, but Lord of the Rings, though, come on. Right? And you think, oh, they're, they're, it's overbearing, it's fundamentalism, and it's not. James is right on point. I've seen it firsthand on what poor speech has done for the church. So here's the fact for today as we get into it. What you say is important. If there's one thing that you walk away with today, walk away with that. What you say is important. Careless words to friends in a closed room is not harmless. It is powerful. Confidential conversations that speak ill of others, that speak ill of the church, that speak ill of leaders, are sinful, even if you're just venting. Oh, man, that was a lot of amens for that one. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Some of y'all have been venting a lot, I see. And this James starts off first with a warning to the preacher. He says, the one who speaks the most, and you know what I love about when he says this, is that James throws himself in. So he's saying, listen, I am not exempt from this. This is actually more important for me than it is for you. To the one who speaks the most, the preacher, right? A lot of people dream of big platforms and think like, Teachers, preachers have it easy, and it's not true. Why? Because with a platform comes greater responsibility for your actions. It comes greater sacrifice to not even have the appearance of evil, right? Not even the appearance of it. And greater judgment for being held accountable for what we say. So for all those people that, you know, you want... You want to be an influencer. You want the platform. There's nothing wrong with desiring that. 
But James has a warning to the wise. Think about what you're getting yourself into before you get into it. So in in starting off talking about our speech, James says many people shouldn't become teachers because our words are not something to take lightly. And those who do speak a lot, the teachers, need to carry the weight of that understanding. And James makes this warning because he begins to prove a larger point here. And that's this. We all mess up in a lot of different ways. And if somebody were to do everything that they said, right? If, if you did everything that came out of your mouth, if I as the preacher did everything that I preached about, what would happen? I would be perfect. That person, James says, would be able to control perfectly their entire body, everything that they do. Think about it. Everything that you say becomes an unbreakable command to your body. You will read more books. That's what I would tell myself. You will work out every day. You will not eat too much pie for Thanksgiving this week. Right? Imagine it was just that easy. Am I talking to just myself? Have we? Right? New Year's resolutions are coming around soon and... If we just, all we had to do was say it, and it was done, man, life would be so much easier, right? Everybody's going into Thursday like, yo, what's my carb count? (laughs) Like, how many, how much, you know, do I get the mashed potatoes, the sweet potatoes, the the stuffing? Like, where, where is it going right now? And for all you tofu turkey people, get out of this church. No, I'm just kidding. I'm messing with you. I know we got some some vegan brothers and sisters. I love you. (laughs) So James is not saying you can be perfect. In fact, he's arguing that it's impossible to be perfect because he says in verse 8 that no one can tame the tongue. We have tamed everything. We have tamed sea creatures, birds, land animals, but there is one thing that has left the human ability to be able to tame, and that is the tongue. And James gives two examples of what the tongue is like to the human body. And he gives these examples because he's saying, because you cannot be perfect, because you are not going to do everything that you say, watch out what you say, because the tongue is like this. He says the first example is it's like bits for horses, now, and I got I to gotta be real. When I first read this, I was like, you know, do they put food in the, like bits of food in the horse's mouth? I'm, I'm a city boy. I have no clue what this guy is talking about. Most of you probably have no clue. So there's a picture in there. I think uh, if you refresh it, does it come up? No? Try it. All right, there's not. Anyway, there's a bit that it is this thing. I've never even, I never knew this existed. It's a metal like wire. It's a thick wire like that big. And it comes out, there's two circles on each end of the wire. And what they do is they put it in the horse's mouth. And the horse, it's crazy, has two sets of teeth. They have their front teeth, right, the horse teeth. Hopefully you're not using that speech poorly and saying anybody has horse teeth. And then they have the back teeth. And in between the front teeth and the back teeth, there's this little gap where the bit goes. And what happens is they put that in the mouth, and there's that gap there so that it fits 
And then from there, they put the saddle on the horse and the thing, uh, what do you call that thing? The reins, there you go, thank you. Stephanie's like galloping on horses in Ecuador when she was five years old and knows about this stuff. On the rein, and that is how you move the horse, left, right, straight, whatever you want to do. Wherever you pull the rein, what happens is it uses the bit in the mouth and it turns the horse's head left, right, wherever you want to go, and it directs the entire body. This little thing, this little mechanical thing, James says, has so much power over, right, the horsepower, what we talk about in engines and in cars, the, the powerful animal that was used for thousands of years in war and Travel and all these things is controlled by this tiny little contraption that is put in the mouth. The second example that he used is the rudder for a ship, right? If you have a ship that is this big, the rudder is about that big, right on the end of it, and the captain can turn this cool wheel, right? If you, if you are into like Pirates of the Caribbean, that's probably what most people have seen, and the, the pirates have that little wheel in the back, and this little rudder determines, right, there's strong winds that push the ship. There's a huge hole, but this little rudder in the back is what determines where the entire ship goes. And James said, that is like your tongue. Your tongue is like the bit in the mouth of a horse. Your tongue is like the rudder of a ship, that the things that you say, the things that you speak, your speech patterns are going to determine the direction of your life. Speech is important. It is small, your tongue, right? So you may be deceived that it is insignificant, but this member has a very big role to play in your life. James personifies the tongue. He says it boasts of great things. Right? It's not that the tongue is prideful. What he's saying is that the tongue, even though it is small, it controls a lot. It boasts of great things. It has a lot of power in your life. And so we're going to read verses 5 again to 8 because I want, to see, I want us to see again that the tongue with all this power is what? is used for so much evil in the body of Christ. Now, I want us to remember, who is James talking to? He is talking to the church. He is not talking to people outside the church. He is not talking to non-believers. He is talking to the church. And the speech, the tongue of the church, he is saying here, is used for all kinds of evil. So let's read it again. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. We were just praying for the righteousness of God to rain down on us. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, setting direction, and set on fire by hell. I mean, this is like, you can't get more dramatic than this. For every kind of beast and bird... Of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is what? A restless evil full of deadly poison. Humans have tamed everything. Large creatures, small creatures, right? We said that, but they have not managed to tame the tongue. 
One translation puts verse 6 like this. It says this. The tongue is the world of wickedness established among our members, and it pollutes the entire body. What does this mean? What is James saying? He's saying our speech, what we say, has caused the world to establish itself in us. Literally, the things that we say, our speech patterns are causing the world to establish itself among our members, among our body. This is in complete opposition to God. How can the kingdom of God reign in our church when the kingdom of the world has established itself among us? And not only has it established itself, James says, but now that wickedness actually dwells in our body. The wickedness dwells inside of us. Not only in our individual bodies, but the corporate body of the church. Our speech has caused an enemy to be among us. And everywhere it goes, it is burning with the fire of hell. Right? How does the church become a place and a force, not for change, not for heaven on earth in the world, but a place to continue the destruction of hell among the earth? How does, the church, how does that happen? It happens when we don't watch what we say. We actually become part of the fires of hell establishing itself and blazing a fire on the earth. Why? Because there's one thing worse than an unbeliever in the establishment of hell, and that is a hypocritical Christian. That is someone who pretends to believe God and tells people that they believe God, yet spreads the fire of hell everywhere that they go. And I would go as far as to say that is, that is the issue that we have, especially in Western culture today, is that we have a lot of the church saying we believe God, saying we believe that we should take care of the poor, as James says, saying that we should be loving towards our neighbor, yet in the same mouth, in the same breath, causing disunity, causing havoc, cursing, destroying the ones that we are supposed to love. James has been talking about how the church was doing this and will continue to talk about it in this letter. Well, these are the things that he said about speech in this letter. In James chapter 1, verse 13, he said, self-justifying claims that we are tempted by God with how we talk is wrong. We cannot say that I can sin because God tempts me. That is a lie. In James chapter 2, verse 3 to 6, he says, The flattering speech that we have reveals partiality towards the rich and shames the poor among us. He says, Careless speech of those who wish well towards the poor but never actually help them is sinful. In James chapter 2, verse 16, he says, Superficial speech of the church is those who claim to have faith but do not have deeds. That is James chapter 2, verse 18. 
What we're going to continue to cover in chapter 4, verse 11, he says, judging and slandering a brother and sister is one way that we have used speech to destroy one another. He says that we use speech to boast of our future plans, to talk about what we're going to do without any regard for God's will. This is how we walk into destruction with the things that we say. That's James chapter 4, verse 13. Another way that we use speech to destroy the church is this, grumbling against another brother or sister. That's in James chapter, James chapter 5, verse 9. All of these ways that we use speech, all of these things that we do, James says this, it is a deadly poison. This is a what? Restless evil. It is the enemy in our very midst. Many times we blame the devil for the destruction of the church. But you know, when I read my Bible, it says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So then, when the church is not succeeding, when the church is not moving forward, what do we need to do? We have to look at the intruder among us. We have to look at the enemy in our midst that has established itself among our members. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. You know, if you know a lot about history, then you know that some of the greatest cities that were impenetrable, <laughs> impenetrable, that is not the right word, impenetrable, there you go, thank you. The ones that could not be conquered, many times what happened, they were conquered from the inside. You know, everybody knows the mythology or the legend of Troy, of how did they, right, they, they came with thousands and thousands and thousands of Greeks and they crossed the sea more People, the legend goes, than any army that had been gathered up until that point, but they could not break the walls. And so what did they do? The Trojan horse. They knew the only way that we can break this city is an intruder from the inside. And many times we, we look at the devil and we blame the devil with the, for the problems in the church when James is saying that it is not that what is destroying that is establishing the worldly kingdom among us. It is what we are saying, that we are speaking death over ourselves with the things that we say. Have you asked yourself lately why your spiritual life is dying? I guess the question is, have you checked your words? Maybe there's been poison in your speech that will not allow the spirit and his life to flourish in your heart? What are your conversations like with friends, your group chats, your hangouts? What do those things look like? Are, are, do we get around each other and just begin to complain and be bitter and talk about how awful our life is? Guess what? If you are always complaining about how bad your life is, your life is just going to get worse. Guess what is steering your life, your tongue? 
And it is setting a fire in your heart and not the all-consuming fire of God that we see in Hebrews, but the consuming fire of hell that is destroying us and leading us towards death. See, the world idolizes people who speak poorly of one another, right? Just look at battle rappers. Look at sarcastic humor that puts people down, speaking poorly of your boss. Like, these are just things that we do as a people. Like, we, we have normalized these things in the world, saying that when we get around each other, when we're going to hang out, and we ask, man, how's your day going? It's like we have to one-up each other on how bad we feel. Man, I had a, had a hard day at work. You know, it was, it was rough. Yeah, man, you know, my boss sucks. And, man, I just, I can't stand this guy. He's just always breathing down my neck. He's micromanaging me. And I just, I just want to, oh, I can't take it anymore. I hate this guy. And then the other person's like, you know what? I'm thinking about quitting too because, you know, I, I, now that you said that, man, I, I can't stand my boss either. I just, I hope this girl, man, I can't take her anymore. She's just annoying me all the time, right? And, and we get in these battles. And, you know, I, what breaks my heart is I see that we do this in every facet of life. Parents about kids, right? Or, or people about parents or us about job or about school. And what we have done is we've created a culture cultural norm where we constantly speak death into our situations. And the lie of the enemy has been making us feel like and pretending like it doesn't matter. What got the biggest ratings this week? Right? If you were watching the news this week, there was something that was on the news all week, and it was the battle between the CNN reporter and Trump. Right? And, and I read, I was reading some articles about this, and, you know, everybody's picking their sides and, and saying, oh, you know, he, he shouldn't have been disrespectful, and he should have answered the question, and everybody was going back and forth. And if you watch the, you, you watch the, in, the exchange between the CNN reporter and Trump, and you see the guy, right? That him and Trump are fighting at, with each other, and then the intern comes, tries to take away the guy's mic. He pushes her away, and then the, you know, security has to come. Security! Security! <laughs> and then they take his badge away, and Trump says, you're never allowed in the White House again. And then CNN sues the White House, and then a judge says, well, actually, you can go. So now he's going to get back into the press court, but now they're, the White House is appealing that, and they're going to, you know, it's just... As a culture, what do we do? We, the, the news organizations know one thing about this week is that it was good for ratings. Because what do we love more than anything? It's just a good war of words. We're like, oh, what, what do you say? Yo, did you see that video? Can you believe he did that at the moment? You know what I'm saying? And all week, every day, it's like, what's the next update? What are they saying now? And it's just this organization attacking that organization, attacking this organization, attacking that organization. And all we are doing is putting each other down, talking hateful speech towards one another. Who can one up the other and who is putting down the other the best? That is what our society has divulged to. 
You know, every political campaign says, oh, you know, we're not going to be dirty this time. And then like two months later, it's like, look at this guy's baby pictures, guys. Can you believe it? It's like, what in the world is going on? It's like laugh or cry, honestly. This is the world that we live in. This is the poison that is slowly killing our soul. That we have given in to the lie that this is normal life. This is how we talk. This is how we react. This is how we should treat one another and talk about each other. But let me tell you, the biggest excuse we use for poor speech is this. That person wronged me. That's what all this comes down to. Is I am justified to say this and to do this because look at what they said about me. Look at what they said about me. But do you know what scripture teaches about this? In staff, we were reading 1 Peter 2, and it had a lot to say about this. That even if someone wrongs you, scripture teaches to suffer the injustice of this world with endurance and do not sin. And we have this example in Jesus. The example is given to us that he stood before Pilate and he was wrongly accused. And what did Jesus do? He didn't mount the greatest defense of all time. He didn't call Pilate a sinner and a a worm and a fool because of listening to these false accusations. What did he do? He stood silent. In 1 Peter 2, verse 23, it says this. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. We justify our words towards one another because what has been said to us and what we're doing there is we're taking the judgment out of God's hands and we're saying we do not trust you as lawgiver and as judger and now I have to be the judgment throne. Now I have to do your job, God, because I don't think you're going to do it. And so I'm going to rise up in my own defense. I'm going to rise up and attack this person. I have been reviled. I will revile. I have been sinned against, I will sin against. I am tired of a church that justifies bitterness, slander, gossip, venting because you just don't know what that guy said about me. You just don't know what that person did to me. And we allow that train of thought to allow the speech of death to start a fire in our heart and in our churches that has destroyed more organizations, destroyed more churches, destroyed more people than probably the devil ever can. The greatest victim in history was Jesus. And he took the injustice and he endured without sin. When they spit on him, he did not spit back. When they made fun of him, he did not call down fire. He did not send the angels to kill. What did he say? He said, God, forgive them for they know not what they do. Will we be a church that blesses those who look for our downfall? 
Will we use the same words we worship God with to uplift others with? James drives this point home in verse nine. He says, with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. The same speech that we use to bless God with, we use to curse the creation made in his image. We are made in the likeness of God. And if you, can, if you think you can get away with blessing God but cursing his likeness, you are wrong. You know, imagine you have a kid, whether you do or not, imagine you have a kid. And you know, and you go and you send your daughter, you send your son to go talk to somebody for you. And when you send them there, you found out that the person was just mad disrespectful to them. It's like, you know what? We don't care what you have to say. You shut up, you're annoying, go away. I don't want to talk to you. Kick them out, maybe ruffle them up a little bit. Your kid comes back to you, they report what happened. And what do you do? What are you going to take that? You're going to take that as a personal offense. It's the same thing with God. We have been dishonoring God's children and pretending like we are good with God. We have been cursing his creation and acting like it has no ramifications with our creator. James says you cannot live a life that blesses God when one side of your mouth, but then curses his creation and his likeness with the other. It does not work like that. One minute we're praising and worshiping the holiness of God, and the next minute we're cursing out our spouse for not doing something correctly. One minute we're talking about God's splendor, but then we're degrading God's creation by slandering a brother or a sister. We are pronouncing the wonder of God on Sundays, then complaining about his leaders on Mondays. It does not add up. Scripture teaches this. It says, even if someone has outright cursed you, this is your reaction. In Luke chapter 6, verse 28, it says, bless those who curse you. That's straight from Jesus' mouth. Bless those who curse you. Can that be the mantra of our life is, every time someone curses me, I know my reaction as a follower of God is not to curse you back, but that means every time you curse me, my reaction should be, bless you. That can it be so reactionary that it's like a sneeze in our church, that every time someone curses somebody in the church, the reaction is, God bless that person. And Romans chapter 12, verse 14, Paul says this, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. James concludes, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. James, take this almost word for word from Matthew 7, right out of Jesus' mouth. How can we proclaim to be one thing, but living with a completely different allegiance? In our speech, 
in our actions, in our faith. This is what James is driving home week after week after week. A fresh water spout cannot have bitter water. Figs don't produce apples. That's just not how it works. A friend of God is not a friend of the world. It's just not how it works. We are either a friend of the world or we are a friend of God. And what we need to do is then go to God and repent and say, God, forgive me of the ways I have used my speech to curse, to slander, to put down, to flatter, and to boast. That out of my mouth would be a mouth of fresh water, of living water, that it would be used not only to bless God, but it would be used to bless others. That the same way I revere you and speak positive and blessing and revere of your name, that I would use that same understanding to speak of others. That my standard of treatment of others in my speech would be the standard that I use you that I use to worship you on Sundays. That when somebody comes behind closed doors and wants to talk ill about somebody, that I say, listen, we can't do that here. That next time that I want to vent and I, and I need to ask myself, God, does, does this lower this person or does this uplift this person? Next time I want to complain about my boss, or gossip about a brother or sister in the church, God, I pray that you would convict me that my speech would be set on fire by you and not by hell. Father, help us be a church that does not reserve our blessings for God alone, but also for his creation. Can you stand and pray with me? Let's pray. God, I pray that you convict us of ways we have used our speech, our speech to tear down instead of to build up. Lord, that we would not allow the speech, the words of our mouth, of our tongue, to let the world establish it itself among us. That it would not be able to establish itself among our body, not among our church, not among ourselves, Father. That we would give no room for the enemy, God. That we would not downplay the things that we say towards one another or about one another. But that we would realize, God, that the tongue boasts of mighty things. It has an important role to play in our life. Just like the bit in a horse, it steers the whole body. Just like a rudder on a ship, even with the strong winds, it gets to say where the whole boat goes. So, Lord, that we would understand the things that we say will direct the steps of our life. That life and death are in the power of the tongue. That we would begin, Father, to bless and not to curse, that we would be like you, even though you were reviled, even though you were spit on, even though you were cursed, you did not take that as an opportunity to repay evil for evil, but instead you prayed for those men, God, who did that to you, that you would forgive them because they did not know what they were doing. Today we understand what we are doing, God, when we talk, 
And I pray that that weight of repentance would be on us. In Jesus' name.